Yes, Liz. Very much. Yeah. Yes. I was yeah. placing the hold as you talked. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Too Katie. based in reality. Too based in reality. <laughs> Give me fantasy serial killers and I can handle it. Give me real life serial killers. No. no Is no. any of it revenge killing? Because then maybe I can get on board. <laughs> I'll let you know, Fiona. <laughs> Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Keep It Fictional, brought to you from the Port Moody Public Library. I'm Virginia, and I'm here with my fellow book lovers, Sadie, Fiona, Corinne, and Liz. How is everybody doing today? Doing good. good. <laughs> it's so enthusiastic. It's beautiful out. We're talking about like one of my favorite things in the world. Like, What could be bad? It no is way. pretty nice out there, which is weird for the week. Because it's been raining, like, for the last, I don't know how many days. So it's weird to see the sun. I don't understand what that is. <laughs> what that big orb is? Right? It's hurting my eyes. <laughs> I don't know. Well, today, it's too much. It's just too much. Yes, it is too much, right? It doesn't work. It's winter. What is this? January. Anyway, it is very cold, though. It is cold outside, so there's that. So it does feel a little wintry. So today we want to highlight for you new books that are coming out in January to April. Because one of the best things on New Year is that we get to find out a whole bunch of new book releases. And we get to look forward to them. And this is the nice time because we haven't read them yet. So everything is nice and good, right? Nothing has disappointed us yet. <laughs> So it's the best time, best time to talk about books. All that potential. Right? The potential, all the aspiration, the dreams. Ah, uh, nothing has been a rough, rough start to the year for you, Virginia, I think. <laughs> That's why we need these new books. We need these like nice new things to look forward to. So we have quite a few books to talk about today. So we should probably get started. Started. And as you all know, we've got quite a few different reading tastes here. So there's going to be a nice variety for everybody and a nice variety to put on your to-be-read list. And at the end, we'll make sure we have a list of all the books that we talk about so you can take a look and see what you want to read this upcoming month. So Liz, kick us off with your first book. Okay, so in no particular order... I've got one of my picks for this month, actually March. We'll have to wait till March if this interests you. It is called The Lost Apothecary, and it is by Sarah Penner. Now, if her name is not familiar to you, that's because she's a debut author. Now, this is a work of historical fiction, uh, and it's gotten a lot of buzz. If I recall correctly, there's going to be at least eight, uh, 11 translations of this work coming out. So yeah, that's 
that's not a usual thing in the publishing world. So high praise, so fingers crossed that this is not one of those um, disappointments, shall we say. However, the premise sounded really good to me, which is why it's on my list. Uh, this story concerns Nella, and she runs a secret apothecary shop in 18th century London. Now it's a secret because her clientele is very specific. Her clientele is women who require stealthy poisons in order to dispatch the oppressive men in their lives. Now fast forward to present day London, where we meet Caroline, and she comes upon a clue to what is known as the unsolved apothecary murders of 200 years ago. So we've got a historical fiction that apparently is suspenseful as it combines the story of the past with a present day mystery for Caroline to solve. Starting the year with murder. Excellentness. <laughs> Just continuing on my- <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Continuing the year with some good old murder and poison. Excellent, excellent, very good. All right, Corinne, what have you got for us? Well, I am also here to boost a debut novel. I feel like there's a lot of exciting first-time writers being published this year. So I wanted to highlight someone who is writing in the genre of kind of like a little fantasy, but like historical fantasy, which I really, really enjoy seeing how a writer can kind of look at history and look at the world and just kind of see if magic were real, how would that change things just a little? So the first book that I want to talk about is The Conductors by Nicole Glover. And it is about a husband and wife team who were previously underground railroad conductors. And this is post-Civil War and after the war is over, they have decided to kind of form a little detective agency. And if you have uh, a body that's chopped up in a trunk or you have a cursed necklace hanging around or there's deadly magic kind of taking people out in Philadelphia, Hetty and Benji Rhodes are the people that you want to call. They have solved dozens of murders over the years, but this time it is personal as one of their close friends has been found dead and they will stop at nothing to get to the bottom of it. This is kind of heralded as an exciting fantasy debut. Um, good for people, maybe a little bit who like uh, Jim Butcher's series, like the Dresden Files. So it's a little bit like gritty mystery, a little bit historical and a little bit of magic. And I cannot wait to get my hands on it. All right. Thank you, Miss Corrine. Historical fantasy. Hmm. There are really a lot of debut novels coming out and it's always so exciting. It is a big year because these people have like their whole career in front of them. And yeah, it's just like meeting a bunch of new friends. Like who's going to be my best friend? Oh, they could all be your best friends. I think that's probably what's going to happen. Fiona, do you have a debut novel for us? Or is it one of your favorite authors? I do not have a debut. I have a book from a well-established author. Uh, it is a new one from Angie Thomas. So uh, this is actually the, a prequel to her previous book, The Hate You Give. And this one is Concrete Rose. Uh, and it is about protagonist's father when he was 17 years old. So I found him to be a pretty interesting character in The Hate You Give, so I'm very excited about this. We're going to go back and uh, follow Maverick during his gang days, and we all know, or we know 
from the um, Hate You Give that he actually went straight at a certain point. And so this is going to be the story of how that happened. And I imagine there's going to be a lot of backlash. Um, I really love the Hate You Give. So I feel optimistic about this. It's supposed to sort of tackle some toxic masculinity. And I, I just think that's definitely something worth reading about. And I am excited. And of course, I think the, uh, the title is uh, hearkening to Tupac's book of poetry. So um, just really excited to get back into Angie Thomas's world. I'm probably the only person in the world who hasn't read The Hate You Give yet. So I have to get on with the. Oh, okay. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> Not the only person, but you know, probably two of us are probably the, the very few people left. So need to get on, get on with that soon. <laughs> Uh, so the first book that I am really excited about is not probably going to come as much of a surprise to anyone who knows me, who knows the books that I really love to read, and who knows the series that I really love to read. Uh, so this is Rule of Wolves by Lee Bardugo, and this is her latest book in her Grishaverse series and the second book in the King Nikolai duology. Uh, so I am very, very excited about this. It is a YA uh, fantasy book that takes place in a fantasy world uh, where magic exists and the people who can do magic are called the Grisha. And there's different types of magic that they can do. Um, the series starts off with Shadow and Bone, and then it kind of progresses there into the Six of Crows series, which I have talked about on here. Um, I will be talking about it later as well in one of our chats because there is going to be a Netflix series coming out in April, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, so if you're looking for a really engaging uh, fantasy YA fantasy series, I would suggest starting with Shadow and Bone or Six of Crows uh, so that you can get to the point where you can read Rule of Wolves. Um, and this is, again, the latest book in the Grishaverse series by Lee Bardugo. Are you worried about the adaptation? <sighs> See, I, and I will, I will probably talk about this when we do our that episode, I love adaptations. I, I know, I know. Um, they don't always, <laughs> they don't always live up to to the hype and to what you want it to be. But I, I honestly quite enjoy seeing adaptations. So I'm, I'm more excited, I think, uh, than worried. I feel like that's our debate question for that episode. Yeah, I can it's, see Colleen's yeah. face. Yeah. I have a lot of yeah. feelings. There's only two That's successful fair. adaptations in the entire history of adaptations. Yeah, I kind of give up on them because I'm like, no, I don't need this. <laughs> the only one I can think of is Fight Club. Fight Club is amazing. Um, and best adaptation, only adaptation I need. Anyway, okay. Um, right, so we'll, we'll debate that question in our upcoming episode about that. <laughs> in the meantime, um, so my first pick is also a murdery pick. This is The Helm of Midnight by Marina Losetta. It is not a debut author, but I have never read her before, so I'm really excited to find out what her writing is like. This is a first book in a new trilogy, um, and it is sort of promoted as a fantasy series, but with a murder, murders, probably, serial killer, a little bit of police procedural at heart. So I'm looking forward to that. Our story begins with a fancy banquet. All the important people are gathered for an exhibition of these magical, very valuable artifacts. 
and Krona and her team have been hired to do security for the day. Everything was going quite well when suddenly there was noises coming from outside, growling noises. And when they look up, they saw these giant monstrous creatures called Varks that have come to the venue and they are trying to get in. So, of course, when everybody see that, everybody, people start screaming, people start running around, running for cover. And Krona and her team are trying to control the situation, make sure people can evacuate safely, make sure they can deal with the Varks and not let them come in and deal with the ones who already managed to get into the venue. And when everything finally gets under control, they realize that two of the artifacts have been stolen. Now, at first they thought it's probably someone who took advantage of the chaos and just took these valuable artifacts away. But when they were examining the scene, they realized that one of the Varks that is now unconscious is actually not a monster. It is a human in a Vark suit. So this is not some opportunist taking advantage of the chaos. This is actually a planned heist. So now Krona and them have to figure out who did this, and they have to recover the mass, which is what got stolen. It's called a mass of Chabon, and this is something that they have to recover as soon as possible because this mass actually belonged to a serial killer. In their world, masks can be made just before you died. And you can ask to have a mask made, and what they would do is they would put all your knowledge, all your memories, all your experiences, all your skills and talents, everything that you know, they can put it into a mask. And then that mask will become available for people to buy, for people to rent. So say, if, for example, you need a doctor. Instead of actually getting a doctor, you could actually go rent a mask from a doctor that has all the knowledge. And then so you just put on the mask and suddenly you will have all that skills to be able to do doctor stuff. However, it is quite dangerous because the mask also contains sort of the essence of that person. So it could very well overwhelm you and it could take over your mind and take over your body. So there's a lot of rules about using the mask, about buying them and renting them. And of course, this mask that was made of a serial killer, and you're kind of wondering, why would you make a mask with like for a serial killer. Well, we don't know that. We'll have to find out. But this is going to be super dangerous because this serial killer has been terrorizing the town for years. And then when they finally captured him, and now he is loose again, basically. So they need to go fast and find out who stole the mask and recover that. So it sounds like it's going to be a fun fantasy slash mystery kind of combo. And of course, it also sounds like it's going to be quite dark, which is exactly what I need for this winter and any time of the year, really. So I'm looking forward to reading this new book. It is The Helm of Midnight by Marina Losetta. No, no. Actually, yes. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I can see Fiona is like, uh-uh, uh-uh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can feel it radiating off of her. <laughs> I'm on. I'm on the edge. I'm kind of right in the middle. The premise the sounds interesting, but the, interesting. Yeah. the serial killer part. I'm not sure if I. Yeah, depends how much actual serial killering. Killering that, that is involved. <laughs> is involved. It's totally a word. Don't look at me like that. I guess we'll find out. So the book came out in April. So we will find out. I'll let you know. Not that my 
my meter is a good, yeah, doesn't really help. <laughs> All right, Liz, let's get back to a book that Liz is excited to read. Okay, well, after that, gosh, I thought my next pick was very creepy and murdery, but that's, I think, I think you win this time, Virginia. But maybe this will appeal to those who are on the fence about Virginia's book. Now, this is called In the Garden of Spite, and it is by Camilla Bruce. Um, and it's coming out in January, I believe, next week. So if you're interested in this one, go ahead and put those holds on, and you won't have to wait too long. Now, this one is another historical fiction, and it is billed as a mystery thriller. And what really appealed to me about this book is that it is a fictionalized account of a real-life serial killer. And this serial killer is female. So that's a different twist on things. Her name was Belle Gunnis, and she was born in Norway in the 1800s. Now that is where she started her murderous ways. For whatever reason, which I guess we'll find out in the book, she decided to move to Chicago. That's right, she headed over to Illinois, and guess what? She continued those murderous ways. This has been billed as a chilling look at the psychology of a serial killer. Uh, and to boot, uh, again, she's a female, so that is, as far as we know, kind of rare in the serial killer world. So I'm really looking forward to this one and seeing what's been billed as a really, really uh, interesting and intense deep dive into her motivations. Yes, Liz. Very much. Yeah. Yes. I was yes. placing the hold as you talked. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, too Katie. based in reality. Too based in reality. <laughs> Give me fantasy serial killers and I can handle it. Give me real life serial killers. No. no Is no. any of it revenge killing? Because then maybe I can get on board. <laughs> I'll let you know, Fiona. Interesting. We all we all have have our very specific the line where we yeah. can cross. <laughs> See, we're always finding out stuff about each other. <laughs> Never cease to amaze us. All right, Corinne, what is your next book? Well, uh, apparently this is just the round where we go very, very dark because the next book that I cannot wait to read is the book by Sarah Berman, Don't Call It a Cult, which is a uh, the story of Nexium and Keith Ranieri and the whole, I mean, I'm going to call it a cult. I'm going to call it a cult. All of that, how it transpired, how it lured women in, how it slowly transformed them from being kind of like independent people who are looking at lifestyle coaching into essentially uh, being a part of a very, very disturbing and very harmful cult. I will admit I have not done a ton of uh, documentaries. There's a lot of really good documentaries out there as well as CBC did a podcast series about Nexium. I will absolutely admit that I find watching or listening to something about this really disturbing, but I am interested in something that is a book because it's something that you can kind of put down and pause and think about and process. Um, yeah, I, I, I love a cult story. I'm always kind of interested in in the psychology behind the people who kind of uh, find themselves in a cult um, because of the work of a charismatic psychopath. Uh, so I'm, I'm quite looking forward to this book. It promises uh, some really good in-depth uh, journalism, 
Um, Sarah Berman is apparently an excellent writer and um, has really gone deep into the history and kind of downfall of the entire cult by talking to people who were involved with it. So that is, don't call it a cult, except Kareen is calling it a cult. Is that the sub <laughs> subtitle of the book? And for me, it's like in brackets. Don't call it a cult, but it's a cult. But it's a cult. Yeah, yeah. And the, the subtitle is actually the shocking story of Keith Raniere and the women of Nexium. Yeah. Fair, fair. Yours yeah. is better. Yours is Could better. Could do a rewrite. Could do a rewrite. Yeah. Yep. Cults are good. Love books about cults. Always interesting. Always interesting. Cults are good. Is no that. Don't don't take it no, out of context. Came out wrong. Love books about cults. That's really cults what I. Cults are bad. Nothing is called a cult that is a good thing. <laughs> All right, Fiona, take us out of that darkness. Are Get you us Fiona? out of here. Yes. Um, so the, my second pick is a sequel, and it is a graphic novel. It is Delicates by Brenna Thumler, which is the sequel to her graphic novel Sheets. Brenna Thumler did an excellent. Uh, adaptation of Anne of Green Gables that I really love. And while Sheets wasn't my absolute favorite, I just love her color palette and her art. So Sheets uh, was about a young woman who meets a ghost. And the ghosts are super cute because they actually wear sheets. And this ghost, Wendell, uh, has kind of escaped from this uh, sort of limbo area where all the other ghosts are and comes into Marjorie's life just at the right moment. Um, so this is going to be the follow-up to that story and it is supposed to be about not fitting in. So not huge expectations for the story. Maybe um, um, I found that it felt the first one felt a little bit underdeveloped so maybe this one will sort of um, amend that a little bit but it just like even this cover it's so gorgeous her gorgeous her color palette is just like i just want to sink into her world so i'm very excited uh to sink my teeth into that one i love the I concept love of them wearing sh wearing sheets <laughs> it makes them a lot less scary when you mm -hmm. read it because it's it's aimed kind of grades three to five i'd say um and i love fiona that you're like the color palette! The color palette is everything! It's so pretty! <laughs> I like I like emailed her and was like, do you do prints? I need everything. Give me your Anne of Green Gable prints. <laughs> All right, Sadie, what have you got for us? Okay, so I am actually going to stay in the ghost theme. Um, and this is also a sequel. Uh, this is the third book of a series, um, a middle grade series uh, that starts off with City of Ghosts. And the third one is called Bridge of Souls and it's by Victoria Schwab. And this series revolves around Cassidy Blake and Cassidy almost drown. And ever since then, Cassidy has been gifted with a very special ability. Cassidy is able to see ghosts and not only she can see ghosts she can enter the spirit world and as she learns she can help guide ghosts to kind of their final their final resting place so Cassidy doesn't really tell anyone about this her best friend who is in fact a ghost um, nobody knows about nobody knows that he exists uh, but he goes everywhere with her and 
it works out quite well because Cassidy's parents, they have a TV show and they have a ghost hunting TV show where they've just been asked to do a tour around the world of the most haunted places. So in the first book, they go to Edinburgh, where they go down into the crypts and the tunnels, the tombs beneath the city. Uh, I actually first read the book in preparation for a trip that I was taking to Scotland a couple years ago, and I did actually go on one of the ghost tours uh, when I was there. So it was kind of cool to, to read about uh, Cassidy's experience in these in these underground tombs and then actually go into them. The second book takes them to Paris. Um, and so they explore all of the haunted places in Paris. And this third book, Bridge of Souls, takes them to New Orleans. And it describes the story as Cassidy learns that she has to face a foe that she could never even imagine facing. So I'm very excited to see kind of where our story takes Cassidy next. They're not too spooky, which works well for me. However, reading them late at night on an absolutely abandoned SkyTrain um, at a really exciting part and then looking up and noticing there's not a single person around you was a little bit unnerving. Um, but I'm very excited uh, to read this next installment in the Cassidy Blake series, Bridge of Souls. I love how we have themes. You got the murder theme, the serial killer theme, now we have the ghost theme, right? <laughs> And my take on disturbing is, you know, yeah, like, right. little like <laughs> ghosts that wear yeah. suits. <laughs> oh. well, bring I us have back no to ghosts. Cult. Bring us back to cults. Yeah, I, <laughs> I have no ghosts for anybody today. I'm not in my next book, but it is one of the books that came out last week, and I've kind of already read it, but I do want to highlight it because it is amazing. So um, it is Persephone Station by Stina Light. People really love this cover. People keep saying how much they love this cover. It kind of scares me, actually. I'm not really sure I like it. But yeah, Corinne agrees, I think. But people love it. Apparently, it's a great cover. Um, so uh, this is a science fiction. And it is an all-female, queer, non-binary science fiction. There are no men in this book. They are mentioned maybe once. One of them has a boyfriend that was mentioned in the off, whatever. So give you a tired of male-dominated science fiction, here is one with no man in it. So this book caught my eye first because the author and the publisher compared this to Cowboy Bebop. Now, Cowboy Bebop is the greatest anime series ever. So I figure if this is one-tenth of how good Cowboy Bebop is, it's going to be stylish, action-packed, character-driven, philosophical, thought-provoking, and funny science fiction space adventure with a excellent soundtrack. And I'm here for all of those. So the book is about four mercenaries, Angel, Lou, Annie, and Suki. And they are um, hanging out at Rosie's Bar on Persephone Station, which is a settlement, a human settlement on Persephone the planet. Rosie's Bar is where you go if you are looking for someone to do your dirty work or you're looking to be hired to do the dirty work. And that's why Angel and them are hanging out. Now, Rosie is the bar owner, but they also are in charge of all the transactions that sort of go on in the bar. Nothing gets past Rosie. And sometimes they are the ones who have jobs that need to be done. So when we first meet the crowd, 
they are there also at a fancy banquet because Rosie has sent them there to take care of a business competitor that have done something wrong to Rosie, and Rosie does not like it. So they were there to find the target and take care of him, her, I think. I don't remember. But before they could do that, another assassination happened. And the person that was assassinated was the leader of the big corporation. And so now, because somebody saw Angel and them there, they figured they must be the one who have assassinated this person. So they are now on the run from 40s, wrongly accused of assassinating the, the big important leader. Meanwhile, the corporation is now being taken over by a ruthless, power-hungry woman, aggressive, and she is ready to take the operation to the next level, and she would like to claim ownership of the planet because there's something on the planet that she really, really wants, and she knows the secret. You can only claim ownership of a planet if nobody lives there. And everybody thinks that the humans discovered this planet and there was nobody living there before that. However, there is actually an indigenous species that have lived there long before the humans arrived, but they have kind of kept themselves hidden for reasons. So now it is up to Angel and her crew to try to rescue this and help this indigenous species, meanwhile trying to run away from the authorities. There are lots of things that the author has packed into this book. It is like a 500-page science fiction, and there's just so much to unpack in the book. And I love the balance between sort of the action side of things. The things I love about space opera is is fast-paced action, lots of chase scenes, lots of funny banter of the Fang family. But it's also like a lot of kind of more quieter, contemplative side of science fiction that kind of explore different themes. So I really like how the, the two balance out. And so if you're looking for something quite different, um, you know, no, well, yes, yes, there's murder. What am I talking about? Check out Persephone Station by Stina Light. Okay, 500 pages is a lot of pages, but anything that's like Cowboy Bebop, I am here for. <laughs> I can see why they make that comparison. Like, you know, I mean, it's not the same, but I can see sort of like some of the style in the book. Yeah, so it's good. But how many corgis are there? There are no corgis, unfortunately. I know, I know, I know, but there are no corgis. Not even one. So, yeah. <laughs> But that means you know that they're safe, right? That means you know that the right? So it's not a bad thing. I'm okay with books with no pets. Anyway, Liz, what have you got next for us? I actually have no murder for you for this round. Um, none that I know of anyway, because of course I haven't read this book yet. Um, but this book is coming out later this month and it is called My Brilliant Life. It's by Aaron Kim and was translated by Chi Young Kim. Now, this is what I believe was a debut novel for the author, who is South Korean. Um, the book was originally written in Korean. It was made into a film in her country and finally has been translated into English. So the story centers around Aryam 
and he is working on a manuscript. Now, the subject of this manuscript is his family's history and story. So he's taken all of these um, oral stories that his parents have told him, and he is documenting everything into this epic manuscript. Now, his wish is to present it to his parents on his 17th birthday. However, uh, Aram has an accelerated aging disorder. So this birthday may be his last. We don't really know a lot more about the story. I kind of didn't want to read too much about it or read too far into the excerpts that the publisher has put up online. Um, just because what I did read was so poignant and I kind of wanted to save that for when I actually do read the book. What I do know is that this is the story of familial love and about experiencing joy, even when you're in the middle of heartbreak. So um, I've got high hopes for this one. So fingers crossed that it's a good one. That's a list book. That's no murder, but it's book. sad. So, you know, one out of two. Poignant, emotionally evocative. Right? Yeah. Got wrenching. All the list mm. words. <laughs> uh, well, we all need something for ourselves, right? So, Corrine, what's next? Well, continuing on the theme of potentially emotionally evocative, um, my book is what I hope is going to be a huge, huge book for an author. And um, this person has been a powerhouse in the YA community, has been a bit of a trailblazer when it comes to LGBTQ plus representation in YA. And I feel like has only been getting better the more that they have been writing. And I feel like this book, which is really outside of the genre that they usually write in, has the potential to be, and I hope is, a massive, massive book this year. And that is Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melina Lowe. Melina Lowe usually writes uh, fantasy and a little bit of horror. So this is a, a bit of like a radical shift. She has said that this is one of her most personal books that she has written before. And you can kind of see the the love and the care and the attention that she is giving to the, to the writing. This book kind of takes place in the 1950s in, I believe it's San Francisco. It is about 17-year-old uh, Lily Hu. She is, uh, lives uh, in Chinatown. She's kind of been there her entire life. Um, her community is there. That is what she knows and that is what she loves. And her family has always told her to kind of stay away from, from those two blocks. There's bad stuff that happens there. And that bad stuff uh, is kind of centered around the Telegraph Club. Now, one night, um, her and her white friend, Catherine Miller, decide to be a little bit adventurous, a little bit rebellious in the way that teens usually are, and they decide to go through the doors of the Forbidden Telegraph Club. And what they find there is a completely different world that changes Lily's life. In the 1950s, LGBTQ plus communities used to kind of gather in and around clubs, and the Telegraph Club is a club that is there to support the lesbian community. And as Lily kind of 
makes her way through the club and meets the people there, she starts to discover something about herself. This is really scary for her, and not only because of her own sexuality being discovered by her friends or her family, but it is also the 1950s, it's the middle of McCarthyism, it is the middle of the Red Scare, and her community is also being threatened by that. Um, her father is um, threatened with deportation, so she is under uh, a lot of a lot of stress. And so this story is kind of about whether... Lily and her friend Catherine will risk everything for their love or will other things get in the way? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this. I love, I love YA historical fiction. I cannot wait to read this book. Melina Lowe is such a talented writer and I think it is first, hopefully in many, many, many um, of different intersectional YA stories about um, people of color and the LGBTQ plus community because often the stories that are being told are from a white perspective and so I feel like this is much needed and um, the story is in such good hands with this particular writer. So that is uh, Last Night at the Telegraph Club. Melinda Lowe is amazing. Uh, so... So good, so powerful, like great writer, great activist as well. And activist for a long time has always been pushing, has always been holding people accountable. She deserves she deserves all the praise. And I, I want this book to be huge for her. I want a national book award for Melina Lowe. Dang nabbit. Start advocating for that. I will I will. It's an American award, but I will I will find a way. They will listen to you. They have to listen to you. I'm super excited for that. I've not read anything by her yet. Sadie, have you read? Because some, there's some retelling. Yeah, I don't think I have. I think I have a, a few of hers on my to-read list, but I have not uh, made my way around to them yet. Definitely sounds up my alley for sure. All right, Fiona, what have you got? So I'm actually pretty embarrassed to um, follow this up after, with, after Kareem's book um, because this... Author is kind of like the epitome of um, white YA LGBTQ plus voices, <laughs> um, and, but she is very much my my comfort zone. My like, I just just want something pleasant and and realistic. Because when I read YA, I usually read realistic YA fiction. So I am talking about Becky Albertalli, <laughs> and she's coming out with a new one called Kate and Waiting. And I'm going to take a second to gripe about this cover because I hate it. <laughs> it's not even like there's no contrast. It doesn't give you an idea of what's going to happen. It doesn't seem relevant to the plot they tell, but I'm still going to read it and I'm still really excited about it because uh, honestly the, the plot I think is two best friends. Um, they both fall for the same guy and then you know it threatens their friendship, uh, which is not, you know, it seems all right, but it's just the way that she writes that I really love and she sort of like does deep characters, you know, who are like pretty, just like regular teens. And I think that that voice is sometimes hard to capture. And it, it often like brings me back to being a teenager in a positive way, which is not something that I always feel with books. It's like, oh yeah, I remember feeling that. Like that's very realistic. And I'm glad that I don't feel that anymore. <laughs> 
So, oh, oh, and yeah, she's of course the um, author of Simon versus the Homo Sabian Agenda and the Simon Simonverse books. And I don't believe that this one is in that universe. So I'm kind of excited to start on something new with her that's not within that universe. Thank you. I, I want to ask, do you rather have covers with photos or do you rather, do you like illustrated? Because I find I'd rather have that than some random generic stock photo. Yeah, I agree. I definitely like illustrated photos, but I think like it just, I don't know, that contrast really bothers me. There's nothing, there's no, like it might as well just be a pink cover. Yeah. The color palette. What's happened to the color palette? <laughs> Ooh, we've got an episode about, about covers coming up, don't we? We do. Books with bad covers, but good books with bad covers, right? I think that's what... Did we say it has to be good books? <laughs> we said it had to be a good book with a bad cover, okay. yes. All right. Yeah. Okay. No point in promoting bad books with bad covers. <laughs> Nothing going for them. Well, let's see Sadie's cover. Let's see what her book cover looks like. Okay, so I actually really don't like the cover of this book either. Um, this book has two different covers, and I didn't like. I don't like either of them. It's called Curse Luck. It's by one of my favorite authors, Kelly Armstrong. This is actually a book that Kelly released back in March of last year, a chapter at a time on her website. So it was not released as a full book, but it was released as a chapter at a time, kind of once every two weeks, I believe, or once every week, a new chapter would come out completely unedited, um, just kind of to, it was it was her quarantine project um, that she was putting this up. And so I read a lot of the book during that time. Once she had finished it, she pulled it all off her website to send it to editors and publishers and whatnot. Uh, so I have not finished this book. So I'm very excited to see kind of how, how it, uh, how it finishes up. Um, I got quite far into it before she pulled pulled the, the book off. So I'm, I'm very excited to see how it ends. And uh, this book revolves around Kennedy Bennett. And Kennedy's family is um, has long, long time been curse weavers. So they are able to weave curses as well as take curses away from objects. Uh, her sisters have a shop in uh, unstable Massachusetts is where they live, um, and they are known in that community as curse weavers. Everybody knows who they are and what they can do. Wanting to get away from that, Kennedy moves away from unstable and opens up an antique shop in Boston. And what she specializes in is taking hexed objects and buying them off of people um, in the antique shop and then taking the hex away from them and selling them um, in her antique shop. She has a pretty normal, normal life, normal uh, job. Nothing really comes up against her. She doesn't, she doesn't struggle with much. Um, she's not super close with her sisters, but she just kind of goes about her life. Until one day, uh, someone comes into, into the shop asking her to unhex an object for him. Not really knowing if she can trust this person, Kennedy decides to sneak into his office and figure out if she can learn anything about him. Uh, what she learns is that he has planted an object in his office to see if she would come and try to unhex it, uh, to see if she was who she says she was and has the powers that she says that she does. Uh, so through this kind of tenuous, very rocky introduction, uh, the two decide that they're going to work together. Amongst all of this happening, Kennedy finds out that her sisters have been kidnapped. 
and she's not sure how this person is um, who planted this object is actually involved in the kidnapping, but she decides to work with him to try and figure out uh, what happened to her sisters and how she can get them back. There's a lot of magic. There's a lot of mythology that is weaved into this story, which I really, really like. The characters, much like a lot of Kelly Armstrong's characters, are really engaging, really fun uh, to interact with. Uh, so I am very excited to see how this story pans out, uh, to see how it ends. And that is Cursed Luck by Kelly Armstrong. This one is coming out very early May. That is a bad cover. It, right? And the other one is not any better. I, I, I really dislike covers that have just like people in, in poses like that, where they're yeah. trying to like give an idea of how sassy they are or how strong and strong-willed they are. And they're going to, but it just doesn't, it doesn't play. But you must be so happy because we were looking at your list. It's like all your favorite offers have books coming out. I know. I'm pretty excited. Granted, I read a Kelly Armstrong one last year that I talked about in our back to school issue that I was really excited about. I hated it. <gasps> I absolutely hated it. No. I know. I know. That's okay. This one I already know that I like a lot of. It, so. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> Just forget about the other one. Just yeah, wipe yeah. out all your memory. <laughs> all right. Okay. So um, I also don't have a super exciting cover here, but it fits the book, I feel like. Um, so the next book that I'm going to talk about is The Lost Village by Camilla Stan, and it is translated from Swedish into English by Alexandra Fleming. This is promoted as the Blair Witch Project meets Midsummer, So I'm expecting some good suspense, some creepy stuff happening in the book. So the Lost Village referred to a mining town in Sweden. And in 1959, every single person of that town disappeared. They just vanished. And when people finally went to the town, the only two people they found were a woman that was stoned to death in the town center and a crying baby in the schoolhouse nearby. Fast forward to modern day, Alice has been hearing story about the lost village since she was small. Her grandmother used to live there, but after she moved away, um, her, her grandmother's parents and her other family still live in the village, and that's when everybody else disappeared. And her grandmother always talked about the town, what life was like there. So she kind of get a little obsessed about the story, and she decided as a documentary filmmaker, she wanted to make a movie about the Lost Village. So she decided to travel there to make her movie. Along with a few crew members, you know, she can't afford to hire a lot of people, including some of them that she knows she doesn't work very well with, but short notice, that's kind of all she's got. So um, she brought along some people and you can see that there was already some tension among the crew. When they arrive and they set up and they sort of look around, they were going to just take a look first and then see what happens, find the best places to do the filming. And then, of course, things start to happen. The equipment were being destroyed. People started to go missing. 
and they all think that they're seeing things that they can verify. Like, you know, they will say that, oh, did you see this? And other people are like, what are you talking about? So there's like strange things going on. And of course, they started to wonder, are we really alone in this village? Or is there something else here? So this is kind of my horror suspense pick. I hope that it lives up to what it's promoted as. You know, I love a good, like, vanishing town. I love that premise. Suddenly everybody just disappeared. So hopefully it is as good as it sounds. So it is The Lost Village by Camilla Steen. So those are some of our most anticipated reads for 2021. Join us next week for part two, where we talk about more new books we are looking forward to reading in the new year. See you then. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Thank mm-hmm. you.